1: Mississippi, I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo, Professor of Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and we're live here to take your questions. I'm alive and lonely. It's just me taking your questions on whatever you want to talk about, medically speaking. And you know our number. It's one And you know our lines are open already. So give us a call. It's all things you want to talk about today on Southern Remedy. And we're going to lead with some stress management information. Lord, it knows we need some stress management. We'll be right back to take your call after this news.
2: Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Louise Schiavone. The Senate Intelligence Committee is hearing from two top intelligence officials as it reviews an investigation into Russian efforts to disrupt the 2016 election. Of particular concern, did President Trump attempt to stop questions about his team's interactions with Russia? Admiral Mike Rogers, head of the National Security Agency, said he would not comment on the specifics of his conversations with the president. However, he did tell the panel.
1: In the three plus years that I have been the director of the National Security Agency, to the best of my recollection, I have never been directed to do anything I believe to be illegal, immoral, unethical or inappropriate. And to the best of my recollection, during that same period of service, I do not recall ever feeling pressured to do so.
2: For his part, Director of National Intelligence Dan Coates strictly responded.
1: I do not feel it's appropriate for me to, in a public session, um, in which uh, confidential uh, conversations between the president and myself, I don't believe it's appropriate for me to uh, address that uh, in a public session.
2: Fired FBI Director James Comey testifies before the Senate Intelligence Committee tomorrow. President Trump will use the Ohio River in Cincinnati as the backdrop for a speech today on fixing the nation's inland waterways. Bill Reinhardt of Member Station WVXU
1: reports. This will be the president's first public appearance to tout a $1 trillion infrastructure plan he rolled out at the White House Monday. That focus was on privatizing the air traffic control system. The president wants a not-for-profit entity to direct landings and takeoffs, among other things, to improve efficiency without the use of tax dollars. Today, Trump is expected to talk about partnering with state and local governments to find ways of improving locks, dams, and levees on inland waterways like the Ohio River. Parts of the river are important for shipping, with barges transporting millions of tons of goods every year. For NPR News, I'm Bill Reinhart in Cincinnati.
2: There is a new candidate for FBI Director Christopher Wray, a former George W. Bush Administration Justice Department official. Wray, currently in private law practice, represented New Jersey Governor Chris Christie during the George Washington Bridge lane closing investigation. President Trump tweeting he would nominate Ray called him a man of impeccable credentials. Speaker of the House Paul Ryan says that Ray looks like a good candidate.
1: I've looked at his resume. He seems like the the right perfect. He he seems like to me he's the perfect kind of person. Um, I thought we should have a career person uh, take over the FBI, someone with a deep bench of experience. He certainly seems to fit that bill.
2: Ray led the Justice Department criminal division, oversaw probes of corporate fraud and led a task force of FBI agents and prosecutors investigating Enron. The Dow Up 8, this is NPR. Congressional candidates in Georgia's 6th District went head-to-head Tuesday night in the first of two live debates. The race has drawn national attention, as Democrat John Ossoff has shown a reasonable chance of flipping the reliably Republican district. From member station WABE, Lisa Hagan reports. With polls showing a tight race, both candidates were on the attack. Republican candidate Karen Handel called Ossoff a Nancy Pelosi hand-picked liberal and highlighted support he's gotten from outside Georgia. Ossoff tried to paint Handel as a career politician, ready to rubber stamp GOP proposals. One moment that's likely to make it into Democratic attack ads came as the candidates were asked about the minimum wage. Ossoff said he supports a gradual increase. Handel? This is an example of the fundamental difference between a liberal and a conservative. I do not support a livable wage. She said a robust economy and lower taxes would better benefit small businesses. The runoff election is on June 20th. For NPR News, I'm Lisa Hagan in Atlanta. Cincinnati Reds left fielder Scooter Jeanette last night went five to five with four home runs and 10 RBIs in play against the St. Louis Cardinals.
3: I kind of laughed to be honest just because it's just that's just crazy for a guy like me to do that. It's it's um you know, it's, it's amazing. It's
1: uh, a little, maybe a little short <laughs> of a miracle, um, but I'm just blast man. And, um, you know, it's, uh, baseball's an amazing game.
2: Jeanette became the 17th player in Major League history and first Reds player to hit four home runs in one game. I'm Luis Schiavone, NPR News, Washington.
0: Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include the estate of Joan B. Crock whose bequest serves as an enduring investment in the future of public radio and seeks to help NPR be the model for high-quality journalism in the 21st century, and the listeners who support this NPR station.
1: You're listening to Southern Remedy with Dr. Rick DeShazo on MPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1 877 672 7464. You can always email your comments and questions to Southern Remedy at MPBOnline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Hey, welcome back to Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Rick DeShazel, Professor of Medicine and Pediatrics at UMC, and this is Southern Remedy, the original version where we try to take questions on any topic you want to talk about. I'm a sort of a generalist and hopefully can at least direct you to the right place if you're having medical issues or can't navigate the medical system, which is in itself a nightmare, I understand, Uh, I live there. So give us a call at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. That's one eight seven seven MPB ring. Or if you don't want to talk on the radio, just send us an email at Southern Remedy at mpbonline.org, dot org and we will answer it right now live. We've got all our lines open and we're ready to take your um take your calls. I uh I don't know about you, but listening to all of the Stuff going on in politics and war and terrorism and all the rest of the stuff uh, going on in the country uh, is really upsetting, and uh, especially if you have kids and grandkids that you want to have a better life than you've had uh, to look look at the future. It's sort of wow, what's going to happen next? Ross, we're going to get to you in just a minute. I'm, I want to get this stress thing out of the way. Uh, Ross is calling from South Mississippi, and we'll take your call if you call us at one eight seven seven mpb ring So I've asked Dr. Manning. Hey, Dr. Ed Manning. Good morning. Thank you so much for coming on air with us. I don't know if you heard what I just said, but I'm totally, completely stressed out by the news and all these people getting stabbed and blown up and uh, all all the awful things that that could happen uh, to my loved ones uh, and are happening to people I care about in the rest of the world. And uh, it sort of seems like stress uh, comes in waves, uh, in my case, up and down, up and down. And some of the things I've heard you say have been very helpful to me in dealing with this. So what, what I wanted to ask you is some resources people can go to. Of course, if it's really affecting your life, you need to see a clinical psychologist like you are uh, to get some professional help. But before you get there, uh, I know that you, you teach your patients there are some self-help things you can do. And I wanted to share those with our audience this morning. I guess because I need them too. What about it?
4: Well, sure. So um, in stress, and we've talked about this before, stress is a normal part of life and we all adapt in one way or the other. But most of us from time to time, either because we get overwhelmed by the situations that are hitting us or about the things we're worrying about that might happen, we develop some maladaptive sort of techniques that we don't even realize we're doing. So We uh, engage in behavior that we think is putting out fires and is actually creating more problems. So, the first thing to do is to step back a little bit, sort of figuratively and literally, and take a deep breath and sort of assess the situation and decide if what is facing you is really that catastrophic or if it's something that you've kind of blown out of proportion. So, you're trying to get a handle on the, the cognitive part of the stress reaction. Mm-hmm. Your thinking might be a little bit distorted, and you, and you need to be willing to challenge that. And if it's hard to challenge that yourself, you can look to a friend or a loved one who might be able to, in a nice way, help you begin to challenge that. Uh, so that's the cognitive part. The other part is, the, is more of the physical. So you do need to do something that helps you work toward calming down and deep uh, focused sort of breathing with a little bit of a meditation component. Sounds really silly to some people, but it is very effective in slowing your heart rate down a little bit and shutting off some of those stress reactions that take place in you physically.
1: Yeah, and you, that's what you told me to do. And uh, I've practiced pursed-lip breathing and other techniques that you mentioned, and they really do help, and they can be rescue techniques if exactly. you're in an acute situation.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: And then you want to, and then long term you develop some. In looking at your way of reacting to things, you want to think about developing some more kind of proactive techniques. So, for example, regular exercise, even if it's just brisk walking on a regular basis, actually helps you to become more stress tolerant. So you can not only deal with stress as it comes, but you're also learning ways to be more proactive in managing things long term.
1: Right. So exercise. Uh, so step back, look at what you've got, determine whether you think you can handle it yourself. If not, get some help. And help isn't always going to a psychiatrist or a psychologist. Sometimes it's <clears throat> talking to a friend or a neighbor or your pastor or whoever. And then secondly, uh, assess the maladaptive behaviors and, that you're doing as part of that and try to remedy that. And then develop some, uh, some regular techniques that you can use on your own. Exactly. Is that what you're saying?
4: That's it. And there was an
1: interesting series of studies a number of years ago. Even with little kids, if you put little
4: kids in a situation where you give them a scenario that is a little bit threatening, if they think that somebody else knows what's going on or they think they are going to have the opportunity to talk to somebody about it, their stress levels are, are very low, whereas if they think they're going to deal with it totally alone, stress levels go up. So all of us do better when we share it with somebody else as opposed to kind of keeping it to yourself.
1: So that's sort of cognitive behavioral therapy, which is one of the techniques you actually use clinically, but in a more sophisticated way. But it, we can do it ourselves by talking to other people who um, at least care uh, about how we feel. Uh, so what about some of those apps? Some We have so many people that like to do these kinds of exercises with Apps I know you have a series of those that you recommend, and I can never remember them uh, we'll put them on the website after you mention them today but what what are the ones that you really like
4: one I tell you one that my residents have recommended to me and i've looked at it and recommended it to patients is called headspace and I think it is available on uh, iPhones but also on other operating systems other phones as well
1: uh, so, so that's headspace
4: headspace and that is a it's a series of uh, sort of guided meditation practices.
1: Okay, we'll put that on our website, uh, headspace, headspace.com. Is that what it is? Well, it's, it's an app. So if you go to the app store I got one you. Of the phones, you can look it up there. Okay, good. And
4: then the other one is Mood Tools.
1: Mood Tools. Uh,
4: mood Tools. And so it's a, it is, a, it is a, a little more involved, but you're actually doing a little bit of some self-monitoring with the application, and it, it does give you some suggestions. Uh, for th- for actions to take so it's a really nice sort of low level but but technically accurate self-help for for dealing with some of your thoughts
1: dr ed manning professor of psychiatry at the university of mississippi medical center and a practicing clinical psychologist who sees people like me who are stressed out thank you so much for being with us this morning my pleasure thank you bye bye it's all things considered i can't say that uh, it's uh, Everything Considered on Public Broadcasting in Mississippi. I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo, and I'm alone and lonely waiting for your call at one 672 7464 All our lines are open. We can talk about stress or anything on your mind we'd like to hear from you. At one eight seven seven MPB ring. Let's go to. By long- the way,
4: that Headspace
5: dot com is is the website for that app. You can go there and
1: and that'll put you onto the app from there. That's Jay White, my personal psychiatrist, <laughs> uh, who is the producer in of this trouble, program. Then. Right? Yeah. And so you can do it either way, right? If you don't want to pay for it, you just go to the website. Is that what you're saying?
5: Uh, if you go to the website, it will take you to uh, the app in the in the iTunes store, the Google okay. Play store for your Android, and to uh, Amazon where it's available as well.
1: I think everybody needs to seriously look at that if you are, um, you know, stressed, and just about everybody is. Let's go to Ross in South Mississippi. Hey, Ross. Hello. What's happening?
5: Oh, Need some information about something on my blood test. It's a L percentage, lymph of fifty four, and a lot of other difficulties.
1: Okay, or did you or did you get a printout from a blood count you had done, and with all the numbers, the lymphocytes and the polys and the monocytes and the eosinophils and all that stuff? Is that what? Uh, you're... Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. So let me, let me explain that, okay? All right. When you go to the doctor, one of the things you almost always get is what's called a CBC, a complete blood count. And there are several categories of data that you get. And now that everybody has electronic medical records, all my patients get all their own lab stuff, and they pull all this stuff up, and they see all these abnormals. Uh, for these things they don't understand about, it freaks them out. So I want to explain to you, I can't do all the tests unless somebody else calls me about it, but I'll do the blood count right now. The, the blood count looks at your red blood cells, the ones that carry oxygen to your blood, your Whoa. white blood cells, white blood cells that fight infection, and your platelets, that clot up your blood when you get stuck with a rose thorn or whatever, okay? Those right. are the three main categories. Now, under, under the um, red cells, there's hemoglobin and hematocrit, and that's HGB and HCT, and those measure the same thing, whether you, you, your tank is half full or whole food, full, full. That's when you're anemic, it's low, Uh, uh, anemia means having too few red cells. And we're not talking about that. We're talking about white cells in your case. And there are a whole bunch of different families of white cells that are involved in treating infections. There's lymphocytes. There are neutrophils. And there are families of neutrophils. Then there are monocytes and other cells, okay? And those go up and down from one day to the next, Uh, depending on what's going on with you. Your lymphocytes go up when you have uh, most kinds of viral infections. Your polys, neutrophils, go up when you have bacterial infections. And your white count usually goes up when you have bacterial uh, infections and goes down when you have viral infections. Those are the general concepts. So just because your lymphocytes are marked abnormal on one occasion doesn't mean that it's really abnormal. It may mean that they're doing what they're supposed to do, which is fighting infection. Is that helpful?
5: Right. I have other things like a swollen lymph node in my back up or near the left arm. Uh-huh. That very fatigued. I bleed very easily.
1: Are you going to a doctor? Yes. Okay. Well, then you need to you need to ask him. Uh, is, do you have a diagnosis? Has he gotten a piece of your lymph node to look at it? Uh, a little needle piece or what?
5: Uh, I went to a different doctor, a uh, uh, dermatologist, and he took a uh, a sample. Going to check
1: it. That's the right answer. Okay. Right. Now, if you've got fatigue and other things going on. You need to go to a primary care doctor, usually for an adult, uh, an internal medicine specialist who can put all this together. The big problem we have with people going to a doctor is they go to the doctor, they get some blood work, and uh, they don't go back to have all of it interpreted. And if they do go back and the doctor says, I'm not really sure, let me see you again in six weeks – they go the patient goes somewhere else because they want an answer yesterday you can 't do that in medicine most of the time uh, conditions evolve and you have to be that 's why they call it patient. You have to be patient and let the doctor figure it out but it sounds like you you will get your answer from the dermatology biopsy, and that's that would be good and I hope this has been helpful to you you 're listening right. to thank you for your call, Ross. You're listening to Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Rick Deshazo. We have open lines. It's whatever you want to talk about. I'll give it a shot. Give me a call at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. It's the Doc in, Doc in the Box call in show. Hey Janice, Janice, hey. you there?
5: I'm, I'm here.
1: Good. What's Hello. happening?
5: Well, I'm interested. I've got a 14 year old daughter, and if you just sort of excuse all the other craziness that happens with adolescents, she seems to be really wound up with anxiety and stress. I don't know if it's unusual, but we can't. Sometimes I can't even calm her down. She gets so fixated on something. Mm-hmm. And I was listening to the psychiatrist with some of the some of the recommendations, and I didn't know if that would work for adults. Um, but y'all, what what? I'm not quite sure what to do as a teenager, if they need to go
1: to therapy or some medication. Or oh, that's a great question. I've had three of them, so I, I, I know exactly okay. the scenario. You say she's 14? Yes. So Almost she's in the middle of all the hormones and the rest of it. And sometimes kids are just sort of their emotional ups and downs are sort of blown off because they're teenagers and, and things are missed. So the first thing when you ha- have a highly agitated and emotionally labile teenager is you have to realize that the the part of the brain, the prefrontal cortex that controls spontaneous behavior and mood changes does not de- is not fully developed until age 25. That's why uh you know car insurance is so expensive for teenagers and young adults up to age 25. That part of the, the prefrontal cortex of your brain that's responsible for executive function is not fully developed until you're 25. So mood changes and impulsive behavior and stupid choices are, are really sort of programmed into our biology. Uh, uh, I, I don't know why I didn't do it. Uh, I'm gonna ask the guy who did it someday But for right now, i got to live with it. And so so some of this is normal. The big things that we worry about are those mood disorders or mood problems. They're not disorders in teenagers frequently that cause functional problems. And if there are functional problems, then a mood issue becomes a mood problem. For instance, if she's not doing well with her schoolwork, uh, if she's not interacting well with the family, if she's acting out so much that she's disruptive, if she has suicidal thoughts, if there's a depressive element with this, um, uh, or uh, or she doesn't interact well with her friends, uh, or she spends her entire life on the computer, all those kinds of behaviors are all... Uh, red flags about getting some additional help. And with a 14-year-old, it's a problem because they're in that bridge between uh, the pediatrician and the adult doctor, um, and uh, sometimes you don't know what to do with them. But I would, number one, you need to make sure she doesn't have a medical problem, and hyperthyroidism, the thyroid gland, uh, can cause exactly these sorts of behaviors and is frequently missed in teenagers. So the first thing she needs is to go to a primary care doctor and explain what's going on and let him or her get the appropriate laboratory test, which would be a routine blood count, uh, chemistry panel, and thyroid functions to make sure there's nothing medically involved in this. Then if there are any of these red flags, then at that point... um, you should talk to her and see if she is open to talking to a clinical psychologist. If you try to take her to a psychiatrist, she will probably flip out. And uh, the clinical psychologists uh, have PhDs are licensed to practice. And uh, if you get the right one and you got to talk with your neighbors about who they've used and whether they're uh, good or not, uh, then there are all kinds of people doing uh, counseling now. All kinds of counselors, and okay. I'm talking about a PhD licensed clinical psychologist is my preference. All of there are excellent counselors in other areas, but I, I prefer my patients, especially if I don't know them well, not to start with a religious counselor, mm-hmm. but to use somebody who uses. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get shot for that, but I'm just telling you. I don't want I people it. with a bias seeing my patients uh, until I know what's going on. So is that helpful at all?
5: Yeah, that's really helpful. The funny thing is for a 17-year-old sister, it's a dream, not, not, not the one first issue. So this sort of hit me out of nowhere. <laughs> uh,
1: well, that's why there's some red flags that suggest it may be a biological problem. Of course, okay. every child is, is different. And the second child is usually the manager and has more problems with, you know, they, they try to manage everything, and uh, and they tend to be a little bit OCD. You know, everything has to be perfect, and if it gets out of line, the entire world is coming apart. So that, that may just be what it is, but I would not, you're worried enough, I would not sit on this. I would at least start with a primary care workup. And usually your primary care doctor, whether it be a pediatrician, a family medicine person, or in her case an internist, um uh and they're adolescent medicine specialist at the university too. That's another resource you have for you. They have a whole adolescent clinic that does nothing but adolescent medicine, which may be the best choice, um, that are run by MedPedge trained doctors with clinical psychologists present in the clinic, um, that might be the easiest and best answer for you. Okay? Thank you so much. I appreciate you asking that question. I wanted to talk about it, so thank you anyway.
5: You're welcome.
1: All, all right. right. We got open lines for you right here with me. It's just me and you and our producer who, you know, speaks you know, like some great Creature from the far beyond. Every few minutes, when I get out of line, we're at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. That's that's Jay White. I'm trying to get him to what? call in with a question. Uh, we're at one eight seven seven. Called worse. Oh, okay, right. One eight seven seven MPB ring. Let's go to Meridian and Ernie. Ernie, what's happening in one of my favorite places, Meridian? Yeah, I
3: just want to get your opinion on uh, steroid I- injected medicine for. Arthritic knees. Do you sure. Have your favorite. Sure. And, uh, sure. And including that, that uh, hyaluronic acid. Do you have? Sure. With that.
1: Sure. I got. I'm a rheumatologist, so I I know a little bit about that area. By the way, I heard y'all are getting some kind of incredible new uh, facility about the arts in Meridian. It's going to have. Some kinda of, it's a museum or some kind of thing.
3: That's right. Mississippi Entertainment Experience. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. I talked to now. I talked to an artist today at the gym early this morning and he was just on fire about this. He thought it was just amazing. Uh, and it's not just for Meridian, it it's for the whole state too. So it's a state uh is it a museum or what is it? Not a
3: museum, it's an experience. There'll be a lot of uh uh different forms of Displays and entertainment and interactive uh, 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 exhibits, and uh, and it's uh, not it's not just Meridian locally; it's for the whole state
1: of Mississippi. Fantastic! Is it going to be downtown, or where's it going to be?
3: Yeah, pretty much close to downtown. Uh, it's over the Twenty uh, Second Avenue Bridge. Yeah, you can come off the interstate just when you get right there. Yeah, right at that corner.
1: Fantastic. So that'll help the downtown, which has a lot of historic buildings that need oh, to be sure. fixed. Yeah. Okay. So uh, knee arthritis is a big, big problem uh, that uh, many people get just by getting older when they wear out the cartilage in their knees. And in Mississippi, since three-fourths of us are overweight, that complicates it. And uh, knee arthritis is where the the cartilage, which is sort of like a A disc between your upper and lower leg, where it interacts um, at at your knee, uh, wears out, and the bone starts scraping on the bone, and that causes inflammation, and it swells up, and so forth and so on. Uh, And uh, the the this problem just because you have osteoarthritis of the knee doesn't mean you need your knee replaced. The first thing that you need to do is to make sure that you do not have a structural problem uh, in the way you walk that is causing this. Many people are either knock-kneed or or bow-legged, and that causes unusual uh, uh, stress on the knee and wears out one compartment. There's a medial and lateral compartment of the knee predominantly and causes a lot of Uh, joint issues. So it's very important that you make sure that you have an appropriate shoe that adjusts for whatever kind of knee problem you have. And the best way to find out about that is when you go to an orthopedist or primary care doctor, take off your shoes and your pants before they get in the room, or they will never look at your feet. Now, that's the only way you can do it. When I go for my annual physical I strip down to my uh, sh- undershorts to make sure they look at my skin and they look at my feet and all the rest of my parts because if they have to come back a second visit, they'll never come back in the room again. So a display have somebody look at your feet, make sure you're not pronating, uh, wear a good uh, tennis shoe. Uh, I like uh, uh, New Balance or um, some of the newer thick-soled shoes. So that's number one. Number two, uh, there are controlled trials that have just come out looking at the injection of steroids, and there are three or four classes, and I don't have a favorite, long-acting steroids like Aristocort into the knee of people who have knee arthritis, and there is absolutely no uh, difference at six weeks between the people who got the placebo, which was saline, uh, and the steroids, and that is that kills me because I do a lot of steroid injections for knees, and mm-hmm. and people claim that it works, but a lot of it is a placebo effect. Yeah. You can't give more than three of those a year, or it makes the joint problem actually worse because it softens the bones. Yeah. Now the the thing about the uh, the hyaluronic acid injection, which is another alternative. Is pretty much the same. It works in some people. It usually doesn't work in most people. Yeah. It requires three injections. It's expensive. It's not always covered by your insurance. Yeah. And uh, all of that said, here's what I do. I explain to the patient that uh, <clears throat> with knee pain that I can't correct with Tylenol because I don't like to put people on long-term Mobic and other so it gives everybody ulcers and, mm-hmm. and takes your blood pressure up and stuff like that. Uh, I explain that there's a lot of data that says this doesn't work. Some of my patients say it does work. Uh, your insurance will pay for it. If it works, great. We'll do it. Let's, let's try either one of these, and I'll do one or the other if they want to do it. If giving them the data, they don't want to fool with it, then I, I, I try to treat it with physical therapy, which is an important component anyway. I never inject a knee that I don't send people to the physical therapist for quad-strengthening exercises because the uh-huh. quadriceps muscle in your thigh is what determines how your patella, your kneecap, works, and that's the cause of a lot of problems with knees. Uh-huh. That's all I got. Okay, thanks. Is that helpful? Yes, sir. It surely is. Thank thanks you. for your call. I want to uh, call us back when they get that thing open, where we can promote it. Will do. All right. Thanks. I'm Doctor Rick, and it's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We have an open line. We'd love to hear what your question is. Uh, let's go to Jackson and Philip. Hey, Philip. Hey,
5: how you
1: doing? I'm good. How you?
5: I'm great. Uh, my question is about uh, prostate screening. Yep. Um, I'm forty three and I'm getting to the dreaded prostate check. Um, I want to know I had three questions. Well, one of them, um, uh, what puts what puts you in a higher rate uh chance of having prostate cancer? Okay. What do you what do you feel about PSA uh testing? Yep. And um um what would you recommend the best test for uh determining if you have any problems with prostate?
1: Boy, it sounds like I wrote this question for you. You're not a relative of mine, are you? No. Okay. You never know. In Mississippi, we're all relatives, let me tell you. Uh, So so, uh, let me tell you, in Alabama too, by the way, if you're listening in Alabama, everybody's related. Uh, So uh, those are great questions. Number one, uh, the risk factors for prostate disease uh, include a family history of prostate cancer and being African-American. Those are two big risk factors. There may be some co-risk factors that are being looked at, which include smoking that haven't been totally worked out, but that's you shouldn't be smoking anyway. So that's number one. Uh, number two, uh, how, what is the best way to screen for prostate cancer? Well, you have to ask the question is, if you find it, is there a good treatment for it before you decide about screening? All right, so <clears throat> the data shows that Prostate cancer that's picked up early in older people grows so slow that detecting it and then cutting it out or burning it out or radiating it out uh, uh, doesn't make any difference with lifespan or anything else. So we as physicians are being encouraged not to do prostate screening in older people, uh, and especially in anybody who isn't planning on living 10 years. Well, who's... Who's going to say I'm not planning on 10 years? Uh, That's a stupid recommendation. But anyway, that's what we're getting from the public health people. So uh, what I do is not based on what the present recommendation is because the present recommendation changes every year. And there are a bunch of competing competing recommenders. So I use the DeShazo rule of common sense and – I'm not sure how much common sense you think I have, but let me just tell you what I do. And, uh, and I do a lot of it. So I, I take a family history, uh, look at, uh, the patient's general health. I do a digital rectal exam, which is put my finger up the rectum at least every other year and feel the size of the prostate. It feels like a walnut. And I check and see if it's enlarged. Now, If you have urinary symptoms like trouble getting your urine started or stopped, dribbling in your pants, uh, stuff like that, I do it every year and uh, see if the prostate is enlarged. And uh, if it is enlarged, I will get a PSA, okay, if you're young. Uh, If you have a family history, I get a PSA at least every other year, and I do a digital rectal exam every other year. And uh, uh you gotta make sure that what your insurance pays for uh to do that, so if you have whatever brand of insurance you have, you need to look on their uh information or call their patient assistance person and find out what they're paying for because you don't wanna end up uh you know with extra expenses if you're at low risk. Right. Is that at all helpful? I'm not sure I helped much. Yes, you did. And I, I, got, I do have one
5: other thing to add. Okay. What can I do, uh, as far as African Americans having high risk of prostate cancer, we're going to research that. And the second thing, if y'all ever have a chance, let's do a show on how to manage uh, costs for medical
0: expense.
1: Okay. Oh, great. I will do that, and I'll make a comment on it after you hang up because I'm alone and lonely and nobody's calling. So I'll make a comment on that too. Thanks for your call. Uh we're at one eight seven seven m p b ring. You can get in to talk to me right now if you give me a call because all our lines are open one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Somebody has gone fishing this week and ain't calling, and somebody's taking care of grandkids. Boy, have I been doing a lot of that, and is psychotic and can't pick up the phone but uh if you'll give us a call. I'll give you an answer. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can Google uh, prostate cancer in African-Americans and come up with a whole bunch of literature on this. In fact, uh, an African-American professor who works for a historically African-American college came down to see me last week from Atlanta, and there's now a national study trying to figure out how to get black men uh, to get prostate screening because black men as a group uh, don't like to get digital rectal exams and don't like doctors. And uh, so this is a big, big deal because when we see African-American men who have prostate cancer, it is frequently late in the course and, and uh, it's much harder to treat. We have some great treatments now. People usually don't die of prostate cancer for years, even if it's metastatic, after they get it because we've got all these great treatments that prolong life and improve the quality of life. So, you know, it's not like the end of the world, but people, men don't like doctors, and they especially don't like doctors who do rectal exams. So uh, there you go. And we'll talk a little bit about cost after this call.
5: Uh, Quickly, I got an email here from Laurie. She says, I remember you Uh, saying it is not good to take Advil PM or other things like that. I don't remember why. Please explain. Mm -hmm. Thanks.
1: All right. Great. Well, thank you, Laurie, for that. You heard my suffering up here looking at Jay White and nobody else. So thank you for your call. (laughs) Uh, Listen, uh, the problem with those PM things is they have Benadryl in there. Benadryl, the antihistamine. That's the part of the PM anything. There's all kinds of PMs. There's Advil and Aleve and everybody else's PM. Uh, If it has Benadryl in there, it increases, if you're over 65, it increases your fall risk about five times. So we don't like giving Benadryl to make people sleepy. If we have seniors or other people that can't sleep, we do. We use lots of other things before we use Benadryl. In fact, we don't use it at all because so many people fall with it. Melatonin is a good place to start. It's over the counter. It uh, works good, and it doesn't do anything bad to you. So I hope that's helpful. Let's go to Past Christian and Daniel. Hey, Daniel. Uh, hey. Have all the clouds cr- cleared out down there?
5: Oh, it's beautiful. It's Y'all had beautiful. some wet
1: weather, hadn't you?
5: we have we have and we're down here on the beach but it's uh it's getting blue skies and it's looking nice
1: it's heaven down there so what's your question
5: uh i had done a blood test and um and found that i had a low testosterone I'm, i'm right around 43 uh coming up on 44 and and i was uh looking at uh what i could do to to help that condition and uh you know, I understand that there's a natural, you know, spiking of hormones and then the things taper off, but I, I was hoping, uh, cause I'm, I'm working out and I'm, I wanna, I wanna, you know, maintain myself. Uh, I was hoping you had some, uh, Insight either to do in in lieu of therapy or or in
1: lieu of hormone therapy. Got got you. Stay on the line because I want to ask you a question. Uh, So let me tell you the first concept. The first concept is an abnormal laboratory test is not a disease or a condition. It's still a lab test, okay? And the way that values in lab tests are done is they take 100,000 people and draw the lab test and do a statistic and get a mean and standard deviation and anything that's two standard deviations off the mean is called abnormal but that means that you know 5 or 10% of people on either end of that that are, are still normal but are told they're abnormal so an abnormal lab test isn't abnormal unless there's some symptoms associated with it, or other indicators that there's actually an illness. So let me ask you, Daniel, are you having erectile dysfunction? Uh, No, sir. Are you having problems with your libido? No, sir. Then forget it, okay? Uh, Okay. Because uh, it doesn't mean anything. The only time that we should even consider using... uh, uh, testosterone injection, and I have every fireman and weightlifter in Mississippi trying to get it from me, and I ain't giving it to them. Uh, <laughs> so they,
5: they, that's, that's, that's along the same lines as me. I, I got you. And, and, and,
1: yeah. I, got, I know, I know. It helps you build muscle. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, um, so, the only time we ought to be giving it is if you have testosterone deficiency and that is described that is diagnosed by symptoms of deficiency two of the symptoms are others that i just gave you plus a a low test drawn appropriately the same time of day uh uh two times before we give it and we the the clinical trials from the national institutes of health show that people who get testosterone replacement have a significantly increased risk of stroke and heart attacks and they stopped the study they didn't even complete it so okay. i ain't taking it if my testosterone is zero uh, unless i have some symptoms and then i'm going to try to figure out another way to to address them that's my absolutely unbiased response. Thanks for your call.
3: All righty. Thank you so much.
1: All right. Let's go to Starkville and Joe. Hey, Joe. Hey, how are you? I'm good. Now that you called, I'm not so lonely.
5: <laughs> <laughs> um, so I've I got a question for you. My son was diagnosed uh, when he was about 10 or 12 with Osborne Schlatter's disease. Yes. And he had some knee pain, and the doctor said, you know, to do some stretches and that sort of thing. Well, uh, long about his sophomore year of high school, um, he was having really bad knee pain. We took him in, and they found uh, an OCD lesion, uh-huh. which he had he had surgically repaired.
4: Mm-hmm.
5: First question is, are the two are the two related? Second question is, after the surgery and the surgery went well, he the 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 lesion you can hardly see it anymore. He, he basically the doctor put. Couple of screws in there, and and, and uh, got the lesion to, to reattach, if you will. Yeah, um, he's, he's not having knee pain, not having problems, but he's worried, and we're worried for him about you know um, arthritis when he gets older, or anything else. Should he be taking any kind of supplements or any kind of uh, you know vitamins or anything to to help with his knee pain and, and keep it from fully progressing into uh, arthritis when he gets older?
1: Okay, so for the rest, uh, thank you, and I'm sorry he's had this problem. It's bad enough being a teenager without your knee hurting. Um, Osgood-Slatter disease is called tibial tuberosity avulsion. There is a piece of bone that really doesn't do much, that sticks out from your tibia, which is your lower leg bone, that cracks and um and that's that's the way that it happens and nobody knows it's it can be uh it can be uh congenital uh and and you know and run in families uh we don't really know why the the condition exists most of the time uh there's there's not much uh that you need to do with that because it tends to get A little better. It can affect one or both of the knees, and most of the time, there's pain and swelling in the front of the knee, right below the kneecap, is the way it presents. Um, It it gets worse with running and jumping and so forth, and uh, and usually, uh, most kids don't even need X-rays for this condition, uh, but it's it's so common, and uh, what we do a symptomatic treatment for when it flares up and if it isn't too se- severe or rest the joint. Uh, it does not usually cause long-term knee problems. So I think the other problem that was picked up was serendipitous and unrelated to the Osgood uh, uh, slatter uh, problem. And, um, and so I, I don't think those are related. Uh, There's nothing so far as medicines that you can do for Osgood-Slatter-related knee pain other than pain medicine, and what we recommend is Tylenol, which works in most kids. Uh, You have to adjust the dose for their size. Uh, We occasionally will use other non-steroidals like Naprosin, but we don't like to use uh, the more potent non-steroidals all the time. Uh, The best resource for someone with this problem is a pediatric orthopedist, and there are uh, uh, several of these who have been trained now in Mississippi at the university or in practice and been trained elsewhere, too, and that would be the person, now that he has a more complex problem, now that he is having uh, knee issues, to take him to because he's going to want to continue to play sports and we need to make sure there isn't something else going on in that knee or in the hip or in the foot that needs to be corrected. So I would recommend that that uh, you you take him into a pediatric orthopedist uh, for a second opinion if your present orthopedist is not a pediatric orthopedist. Finally, there's no herbals or anything that, that you can do for this. I'm sorry. I wish there was, and uh, there isn't. So I hope that's helpful. Where are we going next, Jay?
3: all right, let's go to uh uh Manuel in Cleveland.
1: All right, hey Manuel. what's happening in Cleveland hi I'm Z how you doing good to hear from you oh, good to hear from you I've got a, I hear you're uh, getting a Trump hotel up there. Is oh, there a, yes, sir uh, are you getting Trump too or just the hotel Trump too. Oh my goodness well yes sir well, that's interesting it is. okay yes. <laughs> so so, so well, what's I've, going
3: on I've, I've got something I think I believe it's a little different here okay I, I'm a uh, person who has retinitis pigmatosis, yes, and um I see my my normal retinal specialist um you know as needed, but he recommends that I see my uh, ophthalmologist, just if there's something simple going on here, but I'm calling to see what what are your thoughts. If you have any advice for me, since they're telling me that there's nothing can be done for me at this point, um, and you know, no vitamins, no trial mental experiments or anything like that. And I was just wondering what your thoughts are about you know something like that. So yeah, I mean, I'm really losing myself here, man.
1: Yeah, I understand, and I I, I really sympathize with you because I have several folks who see me for other reasons that have this problem. And, uh, you know, there are so many advances uh, now uh, in vision with all kinds of transplants, uh, corneal transplants and other things uh, that uh, that are helpful uh, that just have not reached down to people with retinitis pigmentosa. Uh, retinitis pigmentosa is uh, a disease where there is progressive degeneration of the retina, the electrical complex, nerve complex in the back of your eye, uh, that allow you to see images and transmit the electrical image to your brain. Uh, and it usually shows up with night blindness and loss of peripheral vision, um, and, and then can progress from there. Uh, there's no cure for this at the present time, but there are some really good uh, new management uh, techniques. And uh, so uh, a role for uh, vitamins was originally suggested in retinitis uh, pigmentosa. And and actually, uh, it may be that yours is so advanced at this point that they don't recommend these. But if you will send me your email address, uh, just send me an email at southernremediampbonline.org. I will send you a patient information a sheet on this because there are certain forms of this. There is not a uniform disease that may actually respond a little bit to uh, uh, multivitamins. Uh, there, The rest of it is uh, retinal cell transplantation, which is an experimental uh, Uh, thing and retinal prosthesis and some other treatments that may or may not be helpful. Uh, It's important that you get in touch with the Eye Foundation of Mississippi uh, to get some uh, patient information on this uh, and get hooked up to clinical trials that are being done by the National Institutes of Health. You might want to be involved in one of these with some of these uh, new computer uh, devices that are helping people who have progressive loss of vision. So, so I will I will give you all that information if you'll send me an email at southernremedympbonline.org. I'll give you some patient information and also some referral information that I think will be helpful. But there is no magic treatment for this one at this point. But there are some exciting possibilities in the future the most important thing you can do is to get the appropriate support and counseling in dealing with retinal loss that will make the quality of your life much, much better. And if it doesn't sound like you're getting that, and I'd like to connect you to those resources. So thank you for your call, Manuel. Uh, Let's go to Grenada Grenada and James. Hey, James. Good day, sir. What's happening with you?
0: Well... I was driving along Grenada, and I heard your radio show, and I had a question come to me. Okay. My partner, he's had to um, go through surgery dealing with testicular cancer, and that meant that they had to take out some abdominal lymph nodes. Uh Uh-huh. And I read up that apparently you could have pooling of fluids that would normally be going to the lymph sites. Is there any way you can mitigate that kind of risk for later on in life?
1: Okay. So let me make sure I, I don't totally understand your question. It wasn't that you didn't frame it well. I just didn't get it. Uh, sure. So, your partner had to have surgery. And yeah, so they were removing lymph nodes. And they were removing le- lymph nodes in the pelvis related yeah. to surgery for testicular cancer.
0: Yes, it had metastasized.
1: Uh-huh. And now he has some problems. Uh,
0: no, 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 no. There are no problems yet. Uh-huh. This is recent, all of it. I'm uh-huh. just curious if there's anything we can do to prevent or mitigate that possibility down the line.
1: Okay, were the lymph nodes clean?
0: Um. No, they were not clean. They had to remove them entirely.
1: Is he on chemotherapy or what?
0: No, no. He's perfectly fine now. Uh-huh. He's remission, all of it. But this is all extremely recent, and we're trying to figure out what are long-term implications of everything that's happened.
1: Okay. Well, first of all, let me just give you some information. Uh, there are uh, there are multiple types of testis- testicular uh, cancer that's all not the same and the uh and the natural history of it uh is you know is variable, so if you're not familiar with that, if you'll send me an email, I'll send you a patient information sheet about the different types so the prognosis is usually very good even for metastatic disease in certain types. in other types, it's less good, so knowing what type it is is very important uh no. Usually, cutting those lymph nodes out, uh, if you're fortunate, does not cause a a lot of problems because there are so many different uh, pathways for lymph and venous blood from the legs and lower abdomen area that those accommodate uh, for the loss of those lymph nodes that are removed. Plus, the lymph nodes that are removed are usually full of tumor And they don't work anyway. So getting them out of the way actually diverts lymph, which is tissue fluid, uh, into more functional pathways. So uh, I don't think that uh, unless he had to have massive surgery down there, that just getting the lymph nodes that were involved out will have any long-term effect. I do think that staying fit is very important for me because the pumps – The muscles in your legs are pumps that pump uh, blood back to your heart through your venous system and your lymph system after it gets down to the legs and feet. And keeping those muscles in good shape will help that system work and prevent uh, swelling in the lower extremities and in the lower abdomen uh, after that surgery. And I hope that's helpful James, thank you very much. All right, good to talk to you. And send me an email, and I'll I'll send you a whole thing about these different types if you want to. Thanks for your question. Let's go to Jackson and Elizabeth. Hey, Elizabeth. Hey,
0: how are
1: you? I'm better since you call. What's happening? Um,
0: Thanks for taking my call. I'm glad I can keep
5: you company. I got a minute and a half. What's on
1: your mind? A few years
5: ago, I, uh, I had an ANA test done. Because I was having fatigue, and my um, fingernails and toenails were turning purple. Uh-huh. Uh, I was very sensitive to cold, and I have extreme joint pain.
0: Yeah.
5: So the test was positive, but my doctor at the time didn't really do anything else about it. Uh, in recent years, I have started taking uh, armor thyroid again for hypothyroidism. And so my toenails are back to a normal color. I'm generally not very cold sensitive. However, fatigue and serious joint pain continues to kind of plague my body.
1: Okay, so I know what's going on there. And the answer to your question is anybody with a positive ANA and symptoms needs to be seen by an internal medicine specialist and or a rheumatologist at intervals and in your case since you have active symptoms that interval is now and you need a reevaluation. people with with lupus uh actually get thyroid disease so maybe there's a connection there and i hope that helps if you want more information send me an email and i'll certainly give it to you thanks everybody for listening to another rambling exercise episode of dr rick and Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Uh, Stay tuned for uh, NPR's Here and Now, which is coming next. And I'm taking uh, a little leave next week, but we'll be on air.